0: now you'll even get a solar panel included free. go to slash tutor
1: If you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me Jay Harris that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty sports scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics.
2: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck
4: Podcast Network.
0: Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and it is great to have you tuning into the podcast podcast. My guest today is going to help us all. He's going to help us learn how to raise teenagers in this new world that is completely different from the world we grew up in as kids. I have with me the author of Raising Healthy Teenagers, Tom Kirstein. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me, Tutor. Yes.
0: Yeah, so tell us the secrets because I, as we discussed, I have One teenager, one preteen, well, two, three preteens, I guess I have to call them now. And so our house is kind of terrifying to me because I am not used to the whole children with devices. I grew up with my phone attached to the wall. My mom could pick it up and listen to what I was saying and know everything I was doing. And there were no videos or anything attached to it. So what are the secrets that I don't know? Because this is not my world. (laughs)
4: Like I grew up in the same type of household trust me yeah so all right yeah so you know i wrote this is the book here raising healthy teenagers just came out in february uh the previous book i wrote a few years ago is called disconnected all that screen time and stuff so i kind of piggybacked off of that and you know raising healthy teenagers is appropriate for parents who have younger kids as well so because they're going to become
0: teenagers no matter what you you
4: do (laughs) there's no real secret all right so here the the problem is in our society now our, our kids are being raised more by their devices in front of their hands than they are from their parents okay um when i think about myself growing up dinner in the cursing household was mandatory 5 30 every night parents had to yell out the front door and come get us in nowadays when you look at the, the way kids are living play is down 70 percent okay um compared to previous generations um kids are cooped up inside so it's not just the devices it's also You know, the lack of of existing in their natural habitat, which is outside. Didn't this
0: get worse during COVID? Because I I think about what happened to my kids in Michigan. They really they couldn't even go outside. So there became like this one whole summer where they were sort of pushed into just whatever was in the house. And that seemed to kind of have a footprint on the rest of it. We've really been pushing this go outside, play, get away from TV and all these things. But did this sort of change when everybody got locked in the house?
4: Yeah. So the the mental health epidemic that we currently have among our nation's youth began in 2012. And that's when smartphones became mainstream. So you look at all the data Mm. from that point on, just a major escalation. COVID accelerated it. And I do talk about that in raising healthy teenagers. So, you know, when you look at, at how the mental health problem has has risen even even that much more since COVID, not just for kids, but for adults as well, you know, it goes to show you that, you know, human nature, we are, we, we are social, emotional beings, right? We are hunters and gatherers through evolution. We are meant to be out and about. And when we're not out and about and we're locked indoors away from society, it, it triggers anxiety, Within us, mm. um, our, our sympathetic nervous system just sends, you know, frightening signals, and that's that's essentially what, what has happened. When people were kind of released back into the world, it's almost like they didn't, it didn't. It was a foreign place for them.
0: So even I would, I would say that maybe parents aren't re- recognizing that. I think sometimes when you are with your kids, frustr outbursts and frustration and anger comes out but that is really stress and anxiety. And maybe we're not seeing how kids, kids can't look at you and say, boy, I'm really anxious about this. Boy, I feel a lot of anxiety over this. But they, they have gone through so much. And a lot of people are like, oh, kids are resilient. But there really is a point when you have to recognize that there's something deeper going on there. How do you see that? And then what changes can you make to reduce that stress to reduce that anxiety?
4: So when I'm, you know, when I'm out lecturing, I lecture all over the country about mental health screen time. And I talk to parents and kids and, um, you know, but I try to what I really the message I try to convey to them is that. So when kids get their first smartphone, the average age is around 10 or 11 now. Right. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks that's a terrible idea, but they do it anyway. That's a whole nother subject. And that's when 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 we really start to see things starting to unravel a little bit, because these kids, they start literally getting addicted to these devices. And that's when the hostility begins in the household. And it creates a stressful environment within the household because it's nonstop bickering, kids are falling behind in school. It's like every household in the country right now. So right. a couple of things that parents you know, really need to do, just a couple of simple things is the biggest problem I see with uh, middle school kids and teenagers is that they are not only are they spending almost all of their time by themselves in their bedrooms, those phones are in their bedrooms with them at night. And they are up till all hours of the night. So we gotta get them, get the phones out of the bedroom, get the kids out of the bedroom, and get them into the family room. Um, and like when I think you had to see me on Fox talking about this, like re get you know, reintroducing family dinner, you know, meals together, because there is no relationship. A relationship is founded on dialogue, you know, emotional transference. And if it's just a bunch of individuals living under the same roof, kind of isolated from one another, it really it kind of crushes the definition of the word family.
0: Hmm but well what about i mean what about other things is there is there a way to bring games back to your household is there a way i mean my girls have started perler beading i don't know if anybody else knows the joy of this which i joke i mean i'm glad that they are creative and they do this but you have these tiny beads that just fall off the kitchen counter and then they're rolling under your feet but is there something that you can do to kind of bring a have a group activity and and you know i think about it and as i say that i think about it is I think we're all so busy, even as parents, when my girls were like, let's get out the perler beads and iron them all together. I think this is going to be a huge project and it's going to take so much time. How do we as parents get away from that idea that time is, we are an enemy of time right now, enemy or that time is going away and we have to absorb it with different things. How do we slow down and say, you know what, today I'm going to spend time perler beading.
4: Yeah, well, I think that that's exactly what you just said. we got to take a breath of air, slow down, think, and then we got to prioritize. You know, what is more important to, to a parent than anything in the world is their children, right? And all of the research shows that a child's mental health outcomes, their mental wellness um, is predicated on the amount of time, on the relationship they have with the parents. So the stronger the relationship that a child has with their parents the, the more likely they, they are to be mentally and emotionally strong and successful. So we really need to, we have this play. We just have to, you know, we, it, it, the problem is that these devices and stuff are so alluring, so addictive um, that kids they, doing anything other than that no longer seems like fun. So we have to just kind of turn the tables in our own households and start, you know, making rules, um, making time to do things that are, that, that aren't, um, know, the norm, you know, reintroducing, going out for walks, doing that game you just talked about, uh, playing board games and just interacting. It's, it's, there's nothing more important than that.
0: So I, I think that a lot of parents feel like when you start talking about screen time and devices and all these things, do you ever find that people have this guilt? So they kind of just shut that out. They're like, I don't, I don't want to be the parent who has allowed this. So I don't. And I think it is hard to deal with because you're talking about putting in rules and, and having screen time, but are there recommendations for people? Because it seems very overwhelming, especially because you do have kids that get totally addicted to these devices. And then it's that is an anxiety in the house because there's going to be a fight over it. There's going to be a a struggle because that kid is going to be holding on to this. I do think that there's... I mean, I see when I take my daughter's phone at night messages will come in all night long from other kids. So you're trying to do something that is not happening in all households. And it's a challenge because all of us who are the parents didn't grow up with this. We've never we never had this, so it's hard to, to judge. I think we assume, we put our kids to bed, they go to sleep. But then when you follow what other kids are doing, those parents are probably assuming they're asleep, but they're actually out there texting and sending messages.
4: Yeah, that's absolutely right. So about three, four years ago, I I used to work in a public, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, I have a private practice. And I also worked in a high school for 25 years. So and I retired three years ago, early. And um, I did a survey, I I took my own data of of, of 100 students in my high school, kids that knew me that would come down to my office. And I asked them to answer the following question. And I told them that this was just for my own information. It wasn't going to be divulged, your name wasn't going to be used. And the question I asked them is, what time do you go to sleep on school mm-hmm. nights? And 90 something out of those hundred kids told me that they went to bed between 1 and 4 a.m. every night of the school week and their parents had no idea. So as a result, we have, in addition to all this, this mental health, we have, we have a sleep deprivation epidemic in our society among our nation's youth. And how and- serious and- is well,
0: that? Because I don't think that a, a lot of us think about you aren't learning, you're not growing. I mean, it really affects your growth, too, if you're not sleeping. Isn't that right?
4: Oh my God! Like so, a, a teenager that is—it's recommended that, that they get nine hours of sleep per night, oh. and if you're getting four or five, which is what probably the majority of teenagers are doing in the United States right now, you can't be a happy, functioning, successful uh, individual. You can't learn effectively. You can't concentrate effectively. So that's like the number one thing I tell parents when I'm doing lectures at my private practices. Like I mentioned earlier, get you gotta get that you're gonna get resistance if your kid already has the phone in the bedroom. Gotta get that thing out of there. That cannot be in their bedroom with them, particularly at night when they're sleeping.
0: I feel like I'm having guilt now. I'm like, how how much do they sleep? I mean, it is hard because they get they become like their own person, you know, and so they want to stay up, and especially in the summer. So in Michigan, I'm not making excuses, although it sounds like I am. Um, in, <laughs> in Michigan, it stays where we live it stays daylight until like nine forty-five at night so already they feel like it's it's oh, i can stay up and so the girls have been staying up now it's summer they've been staying up and then they get up for track in the morning at seven so now i'm in my head i'm having that moment where i'm going mm, there i don't think they're sleeping that much
4: you might take something away from your own podcast today
0: I know. Uh, no, I, that's why I selfishly, most of this is for me. <laughs> I, I'm like, yeah. I've learned so much doing this podcast. And I'm such let, a better let, person now.
4: <laughs> here's this, let, let me, exactly. Let me share one other thing with you. Right. So another thing happening in our society, I mentioned how important a relationship is between parent and child, right? The average parent nowadays spends just three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children three and a half minutes per week. Wow, meaning-
0: Whoa! wow, really?
4: Yeah, that's a statistic. Um, and it's because we're glued to our devices or kids are glued to our devices. So every it's, it's no matter where you go. So the next time, if I don't know if you drive your girls to school or not.
0: Yes, um, yeah, we do. But,
4: but if you're pulling into the school and there's a lot of traffic, just look in your rear view mirror and it will be the same picture every time. It will be the child in the passenger seat like this. So even the five minute rides to, to and from school have been relinquished to a device. And that is fertile ground, believe it or not, fertile ground for dialogue, connecting with your child and the child connecting with us. But it's like, we, we just don't know any better. It's just become the norm. And that's, I'm glad we're having this conversation so that your listeners, you know, that do drive their kids to school can say, okay, you know what, I'm not going to let them be, you know, be distracted by a phone the whole time and not have any conversation with
0: them. Right. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tutor Dixon podcast. I think this is one of the advantages of having four children because I have never, there are actually, I will not say that on the way to school, there's a lot of quiet moments, but I think they're still waking up and preparing for school. But on the way home from school, when you have four girls in a car, there is never a moment where they are just looking down because every one of them has to tell you, which I love but they all talk at once. It's so funny because all of the parents at school talk about this, They I, even when they're with their friends, they all talk at once, they get in the car and they're like, oh, let me tell you what happened today, <laughs> yeah. which I love. It is just yeah. a lot going on. So my recommendation is you have four kids and then they never, they are like starved for the, how can I get my words out? It's a competition.
4: So there, there we have it. Everybody, everybody watching, you have to have more children. Let's
0: <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah, they're gonna love that. <laughs> there are some, there are some moments that are not so pleasant. <laughs> oh gosh.
4: But even so, even if there's, you know, if they're talking, even if there's some bickering, that's healthy. You know, that's how you learn to, you know, how to h- deal with adversities and handle something that you don't want to hear. You know, you have to have those conversations. So that's that's healthy stuff. It's healthy for a kid to go outside and get the ball taken at the park when they're a cop yeah. and scrape their knee. You know, that's how you learn.
0: But there are some things that are more dangerous on these phones. It's not just that you are being taken away from time with family or time with friends and, and in your own little zone. I mean, there are some things that happen on these phones that are really impacting the way kids think they're impacting depression. I mean, you even talk about a California school board that is suing the tech companies over the mental health impact of some of these apps. And we're talking about TikTok and Instagram. I mean, there is so much going on in these apps, you have the the fear of missing out, you see your friends doing something that you're not doing, all of a sudden, why aren't why aren't they inviting me? Why aren't they talking to me? You know, it's funny, because even over the weekend, we had a little girl at our house. And she said, Do you know, in eighth grade, I wasn't allowed in the eighth grade chat, because I had green bubbles. And I was shocked. I said, What do you mean? And they said, Well, the other kids didn't want to have an Android in the chat because of the green bubbles. So I was kicked out of the eighth grade chat. And I think, Wow, crazy. Is that? How sad to think that there's elitism, there's so much that is going on that kids have never dealt with before. So can you go through a little bit of, about that and what it means to sue these companies?
4: Yeah, I mean, so you have that's a good point, this fear of missing out, kids feeling, you know, left out. Something in my previous book I talk about it called social media self-esteem, you know, where kids are getting, you know, they're getting, the, you know, the likes and the streaks and everything. Not because they're aspiring photographers and videographers, it's because they want attention. And that's what the streaks is an
0: addictive thing. I mean, I think that's something a lot of parents don't know about, because that is with Snapchat and some of these other ones, you have a streak. And and so that that's a development. These developers said, if I can convince this kid that they have to keep the streak going, they will come to my app every single day.
4: Yeah, it's like the one-armed bandit, the digital slot, the slot machine, right? That's that's the effect it has, right? And the addictive part of that is that all of these apps and stuff with the algorithms are designed to target the pleasure-seeking part of the brain that produces dopamine, which is the feel-good chemical. And dopamine is associated with every addiction there is, whether it's drugs, uh, gambling, and, or what have you. So our kids are literally, literally just getting a, an IV drip for eight or nine hours a day um, an iv dopamine drip right so there and the way it works the way the brain works called homeostasis you don't want to have too much dopamine or too little once there's an imbalance and the stimuli is removed mom takes the phone away or their video game system there's an absolute crash and that's something i'm seeing the last couple of years in my private practice like i've never seen before Yeah, you know, kids with uh, developing oppositional defiant behavior kids 11 12 13 cursing out their parents punching holes in the wall simply because the, the device or video game system was removed
2: that's
1: a
4: part of the equation there and also something i talk about um i talk about uh, a chapter in in raising healthy teenagers called fear-filled nation and i start the chapter off talking about the movie jaws all right so you remember jaws 1975-76 after jaws came out a two-hour movie about a with a robotic shark millions of people wouldn't go into water and the guy you're looking at right now still is apprehensive to go into water because,
0: i know i'm though, like okay I feel the same that, way that, i always like talk about hour. how the lake doesn't have sharks so you should come to michigan yes yeah.
4: yeah, so that's just a two-hour movie now now think of this think about all of the content like every single thing is caught on camera nowadays every violent act every murder shooting mm-hmm. carjacking mugging beating right and, and think about a two-hour movie like jaws having that impact and think about our, our kids being exposed to this stuff for hours on a daily basis and how, how that may contribute to this anxiety um, epidemic and this fear epidemic that we have.
0: Yeah, I feel I so early, m- many years ago when I first got out of college, I lived in New York City. And I remember at that time, I mean, I took the subway everywhere. I never thought about it. It it was the 90s. It felt really safe. You know, it was a different time in New York City. But now you see all of these things on the news, on social media. And we go to New York now and I walk around and I'm constantly and, and not that that's, you know, you should always be aware of your surroundings, but in a different way where I feel concerned. And that is, I can imagine if kids are seeing this happening in schools, you could be essentially walking into every place, the mall, every place and feeling anxious everywhere you go.
4: Yeah, hundred percent, you know, because we see this stuff in New York City. I mean, I'm half an hour from New York City. Um, yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same as it was in the 90s. I grew up in a small area. It's When I go into the city, I'm like, I have like, I, I don't have two eyes. I have like 20 eyes.
0: Yeah, right. All over
4: the place because you don't know. And, you know, part of that is because, you know, the, the, you know, the the politics in New York City and, uh, you know, criminals not being prosecuted. And, you know, you know, I mean, everything we see on the news and, and, and it kind of emboldens the bad guys and makes the the good guys, good guys. But isn't that
0: also sucking people in on social media? Because you have everybody who wants to be an activist these days. And there there's this call. These young people are all saying, if you take a survey of young people, they say, well, I want to stand for something. This is, Providing them some stance, whether or not they were raised to agree with the stance, there's something there that is pulling them in, just like the streak. It can pull you in. You want to be a part of this. What are the dangers there?
4: Well, let me. You know, I just want to read something. I have this highlighted, right? So talk about like activism, right? So like this guy George Barna, who's a professor at Arizona Christian University, he wrote this like 60 page report, and it's pretty interesting. He talks about all right. So millennials. Are well known for their advocacy towards tolerance, right? Um, and they emerged in his survey as the least tolerant generation by their own admission. Oh wow! Of people, of people who hold different views from their own, and additionally, um, they were twenty-eight percentage points more likely than baby boomers to admit that they're committed to getting even with those who wrong them. And a couple oh, of other stats. Wow,
0: that is terrifying.
4: Yeah, right? So this is the, these are the ones preaching tolerance and, you know, where is all this coming from, social media? And here's some other frightening stats. On
0: yeah, I'm that looking after. at the millennial in the office and I'm like, okay, well,
4: yeah, now, right? I, now and, I know
0: how you feel about me. Right, yeah, right,
4: right. <laughs> and, um, and 29% of young millennials, 18 to 25, have some kind of a mental health, mental health disorder. 54% in the survey have some form of mental fragility or mental illness and 96% lack a biblical worldview. And here's Mm. the real, here's a real crazy one. 75% in this survey reported that they lack meaning and purpose in life. Wow. And remember, this is the generation that has more access to anything, right? We have more abundance. We, you know, things are easy. You hit a button, you get food delivered to your door. You want to watch a movie? There it is. You know, yet they're the most unhappy generation in history. I'm, I'm, I want to see what's going to happen with Gen Z, or, you know, the uh, Gen Zers coming up after that.
0: Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever.
0: We had friends come to my daughter's eighth grade graduation and my kids go to a Christian school and the kids were all very, (laughs) they're eighth graders. I mean, it didn't strike me, but the friend who came said, you're the eighth graders were all so quiet and they listened and they were so intent on and hearing what the message was and they were all so good to each other. And I, I, she said, when we walked out, she said, it was a moment where I thought at our school, there's so many kids questioning gender, all of these different things. And she said, you can feel the anxiety when you walk into the school. And it made me think, boy, it really does make a difference to have faith. And we're really losing that in this country.
4: Well, 100%. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Catholic church churchgoer, went to Catholic school my whole life. Um, and I think that's intentional. You know, Yeah, like when, I agree. Remember the rock Remember the Ronald Reagan quote: uh, "Once we forget that we are a nation under God, we are a nation gone under." Yeah, that's that's what's happening. Like you know, I remember during the 2012 Newtown, Connecticut shootings, Mike Huckabee had his show on Fox, and that's I was going on there at that time talking about all this stuff. And um, you know, somebody asked him a question. They said, "Governor, um, how how could God let something like this happen?" And you know what his response was? His response was, "What do you mean? God had nothing to do with this." God's not allowed in schools anymore. Remember? Mm.
0: Oh yes. Yes. That was, that just gave me chills. Yes. That was a powerful moment.
4: Yeah. So let me share, can I share one other thing with you that I think is very important for the listeners? Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm, when I go, when I go do my lectures, which I love doing, I go, I'm going out to California in August, uh, September, October. Um, and I'm, I speak to parents and kids But when I'm speaking to kids, I get to this point in my lecture about self and self-esteem. And I'll ask a kid in front. Well, I'll, I'll ask them the question. I'll say, who are you? Who are you? And I already know what the answer is going to be. They tell me their name. Oh, I'm John Smith. Hey, John. And they go to the next kid. They tell me their name and so forth. Then I ask one of those kids to ask me who I am. And they say to me, who are you? And I say, I'm not Tom Kirstein. That's just the name, the name my parents gave me. Who I am is as follows I am a spiritual, powerful, loving, motivated, determined, happy, excited, charismatic, empathetic being. And then there's silence. And I go on to say next, I'm not saying that about myself to boast about myself. I'm saying that because every single one of you in this room is that as well. Mm. But you can't know that if you if you're never if you're never bored, if you're never in the silence. That's true. You can't know who you are. So I I implore these kids. I tell them, I say, listen, if every one of you guys in this room commits to sitting in silence for 15 minutes a day, which initially you're gonna go crazy. Your subconscious mind is gonna go all over the place. But if you commit to that and you do that on a daily basis, over the course of six months, right? And you really get all those goods that are within us. It's like the rest of the iceberg. That's where everything is within us. It's not out here. It's not how many streaks, likes, followers we get. Happiness is never an outside-in thing. It's only an inside-out thing. And I explained to them, if they were to do that and commit to that for 15 minutes a day, I predict that the mental health epidemic would go down 95%.
0: So uh, when you say that, I, I think that's so... Oh, I think about my kids. And I think that would be overwhelming to them. Just be, be silent. But I think there are moments when kids can be silent in a walk outside in a jog. It, it doesn't have to be motionless. Silence comes in a lot of different ways. Reflecting on life can be in a kayak. It can be skiing. It can be all kinds of different Ooh. things, but yep. there needs to be a time when you are just with you and you learn who you are.
4: Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's a, it's depth, right? So you know, we have this very powerful mind and this imagination, right? And we never use it. So so we're instead of like like Nietzsche said, that philosopher, we're under, we're under the presumption that we're thinking, but in reality, we're being thought. And what he means by that is we're being controlled by our thought rather than being in control of our thought.
0: Interesting. So how do you, I, you talked about faith. And I think it's important for me to, because I'm somebody who I would say that when, when my oldest was a baby, I had a girlfriend come to me and she said, you know, we would love to have you join our Bible study. And I was somebody that had gone to church and was grew up as a Christian, but um, a Bible study was a little intimidating. And I said yes, and then I spent seven years in this pretty intense Bible study. And I remember... Going into this Bible study and, and they said, you know, this will change everything in your life and you'll, you'll come against hardships and you'll see them in a different way. And, and, you know, there's this immediate, like, well, oh, I don't want to come against hardships. So maybe I just don't do this and then I won't come against hardships, but you do. And since that time, I mean, it's, I've gone through losing a Baby at 18 weeks. I've gone through cancer. I've gone through losing my father. Um, We've gone through having a kid go through tough hardships at school. And I think that in all of those things, there was, you could find joy through the process because of faith. So, how, when we're at this point now where we're talking about school and we're talking about social media, but I think that there is a lot of value that can be placed on where your kids are educated as well. And I think that's something that parents oftentimes think is out of their reach to have a values-based education. But it's something that I feel is, is something parents should seek out. And there's a lot of help along the way. If you can't financially make it, a lot of these schools that want to teach your kids through the lens of the Bible are willing to help you get there. What is your feeling on something like that?
4: I agree I, talk, I actually talk about this in raising healthy teenagers I've all chapter about schools and stuff and the fact that you know t- private schools and Catholic schools for the first time in like 30 years um Catholic school enrollment actually went up hmm. um, because of covid and because they came from a place of yes you know when people all the you know the public schools are being locked down and so forth but hundred percent you know like that there's the the values of being in one of the in a school like that where you're you know where God is part of the equation I mean you know, think about this. You don't even have to be a religious person, right? So God, simply whether you believe in, it doesn't have to be a religious thing, represents all that is good, right? That's that's what God embodies, goodness, right? Now, when you remove good, when you remove light, mm-hmm. what do you have? You have darkness, right? So darkness isn't even real. It's just the absence of light. When you remove God, what do you, what, what does that open the door to? Evil and badness. And take a look at what's happening in society on a daily basis. I don't think it's a coincidence.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 when you remove God, you the thing about that statement when I first went in there and they said you're going to come across hardship is that's coming. No matter what, no matter where cool. you are in your faith journey, whether you are away from God or you are right there with him every day, that is coming. Wouldn't you rather your child be walking in strength and light than when that darkness comes, that's all there is? There's no light? That's tough. Yes.
4: That's a very good point. You know, if, you, if, you, if a child doesn't already have light, joy and happiness, right? Because of, for whatever reasons, how are they going to be, what's gonna help them get through an adversarial situation?
0: And and that's a tough thing, I think, for a lot of people to talk about because there is a lot of persecution of Christianity and faith these days, more more so in this country than we have ever seen. And it's been shocking to me. Running for office was shocking to me. I just talked about this because when I first started running, that was the most common thing I got from Christians. Don't talk about your faith because that'll turn people away. I think that my faith is something that defines me. And you should know that about me. And I don't think that I don't ask other people not to talk about their faith. I certainly wouldn't ask other people not to talk about something that was a part of who they are. So I think we kind of have to start pushing back on this idea that you shouldn't be open about your faith, because my faith is what has gotten me through. And my faith is what helps me to have those conversations to recognize when to put the phone away i mean those that can lead you in a place that can lead i mean it, it should lead you to a place where you are loving and helping others as well
4: yeah i wish we had another half hour because i could tell I you know, I'm, I'm
0: sorry i'm just like oh grabbing no, I was all say, your time I
4: could, no no i could tell you this crazy story like with with me like everything booked like my publisher right i had like i had the original book this book disconnected Okay, this came out three years ago. I self-published it in 2016 and it really took off, probably from going on Tucker Carlson's show. And um, so then it, it it got a lot of interest, and in, like three of the biggest publishers wanted the book. And the one that came in with the best the, the best terms is the second largest Christian publisher, Baker Books. And that was no accident. And it's there's a whole backstory to that. And it's I've come to realize that the work I do, you know, writing books, going, doing media, being on your podcast, and lecturing. It isn't really coming for me.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
4: coming for something bigger than me.
0: That's so cool. Even, even those folks who are not close to him, he's seeking you and he will find you in places that you are not expecting. And that's, that's the message. And that's, I mean, even for someone who is, he is finding you in places you are not expecting. And I think that's the cool thing. And honestly, that was I feel like he drew, I saw you, you're right. I saw you on Fox and Friends and I was like, I want to talk to that guy. I want to know what he knows. He knows something I don't know and I want to share that. So I appreciate you coming on. Tell everybody where they can get your books.
4: Uh, thank you, by the way. Yeah, uh, anywhere, you know, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. You can go to bakerpublishinggroup.com um, and you can just, you know, just just Google my name. There's a lot of stuff out there and my website is um, uh, www.tomkirsting.com.
0: Well, thank you so much. Raising teenagers is tough. I think all of us who are doing it or or have done it realize that it is not easy and we can use all of the advice we can get. So thank you so much. The author of Raising Healthy Teenagers. Make sure you pick it up, Tom Kirstein. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tudor. And thank you all for joining me on the Tudor Dixon podcast. As always, for this episode and others, go to tutordixonpodcast.com You can subscribe right there or check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a great day. Generator now You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4patriots.com slash tutor.
1: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics,